this morning we began a study of some things that the Bible teaches about attitudes that we ought to possess in thinking about giving based on the 29th chapter of 1 Chronicles. For those who were not here this morning, let me briefly mention the things that I called attention to in our study this morning and then continue our study to look at some other uh, things that are set forth in this chapter. I think it's important for us to try to develop the attitude that the Bible teaches as we think about our responsibilities and as well as our opportunities. The chapter that we're studying sets forth principles that all of us ought to have and need to develop in relation to our attitude toward the cause of the Lord and our opportunities in supporting that cause. This morning, I mentioned the fact that so often when you think about the Old Testament, we think about the matter of their giving being based upon tithing. And yet here is an example that sets forth the spirit that breathes the very attitude and atmosphere that God wants to characterize us today and even in the Old Testament. You go back and read the account of the building of the tabernacle. The same spirit was manifest by those who contributed of that which they had in order that the tabernacle might be built. It was based upon a free will offering, one that was willing. And this is the very attitude that we must come to have. But in so doing, there must be the proper motivation of heart and the attitudes that characterize that willingness that wants us to give. And this morning I mentioned that David in preparing or in thinking about the temple that Solomon was to build, expressed attitudes that we need to have and as we think about the church and the work of the church and the cause of the Lord today. And thus in verse 1, David pointed out that he wanted to give because of the greatness of the work. And we need to think about the greatness of what we're engaged in. The work of the church is not secondary nor is it something that we just do in our pastime. But it's the greatest uh, endeavor that it's possible for anyone to be engaged in. What we're do dealing with is the destinies of men, the difference between life and death. And there's not anything that can be equal to it. And, when, and we need to ponder seriously and long the kind of work and the greatness of the work that we're engaged in. The kingdom of God is greater than any uh, institution that there is in the world today. And we should think about it from that standpoint. In the second place, David prepared his heart. He thought about it. And we need to think about our opportunities and the work of the church. We need to think about the matter of saving souls and of building spiritual lives. We need to think about what it is to take a life that's caught up in the bondage of sin and change its direction. Give it purpose and meaning. 
bring it into fellowship with God and to nurture it and to help it grow until it is fit to live with God in heaven when this life is over. There's just not anything that's like that. And we need to think about doing that kind of work. Uh, <clears throat> think about the various people that you may know that have obeyed the gospel and has changed the, uh, their lives and the directions in which they were going and seen them as they've grown and developed. Then, not only <clears throat> did David prepare by thought and consideration, but it was an expression of love. Verse 3 talks about his affection. And this is the thing that's to motivate us. The Macedonians in 2 Corinthians 8 gave because they loved the Lord. And they appealed to Paul to allow them to share in spite of the poverty that was theirs. And I mentioned this morning Mary in Matthew 26 and Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians 13. Then David wanted people to have an opportunity to share. He felt that the work was of such a nature that it would be wrong and cheating people not to give them the opportunity to participate in this work and have the opportunity out of the affections of their heart and the willingness of their mind to have some part in the preparation for the temple or the building of the temple. And in the same way, we need to think about uh, the work of the church, not only in our giving, but in all the activities, as something wherein the elders in leading us are giving us an opportunity to share with them in the work that's being done. Think about the difference in attitude that it'll take toward our giving. If we consider it, that instead of the elders imposing some obligation upon us, they have arranged a plan given thought for the work of the coming year, and this as a means of giving us the opportunity to share with them in that work. And that's the way that we need to think about it. And that's what David wanted these people to do. David felt that it would be a mistake, that these people would be missing something that they would want to have a part in, and that they would rob themselves of something that was good in life if they were not extended the opportunity to have a part in that. And that's the way we ought to think about the work of the church, that it's a means of extending unto each one of us an opportunity to share within that. And we ought not to think about it as some uh, something that has been placed off upon us or some burden that's simply been laid upon our shoulders. But then again in verse 8 of uh, chapter 29, we read, and that they, they with whom precious stones were found gave them to the treasury. Look at the attitudes that is expressed in this. They were giving those things that were precious. And I, that ought to characterize us. Are we glad of the opportunity of giving things that are precious? Or do we try to uh, simply hold back 
and only give the things that are left over. In the first chapter of the book of Malachi, we read that even in connection with the sacrifices, because they had come, uh, failed to understand and appreciate what God meant to them. When it came time to offer a sacrifice, they had take the lame and the blind, something that they couldn't use themselves and something that they had no need for, and that's what they'd give. Can you think of God when man was caught up in the bondage of sin, ruined and without hope, looking around the rim of heaven for something that he didn't need and saying, this is what I'll send and this is what I'll use in man's redemption? Surely not. The very heart of God that yearned for man to redeem him and save him from sin would not allow him to look around and search for something that he had no need for or that was not precious to him to use in redeeming man from sin. But when it came time for him to consider what could be done in redeeming man from sin, he took that which was most precious to him, not just a son, but the only son that he had, and sent him into the world and let him live among men and die that you and I might be redeemed from sin. And since God took that which was precious unto him and gave it, should, should we then not likewise want to take that which is precious to us, the best that we have, and give that unto the Lord? You remember on one occasion when David uh, was so thirsty being run or running from the enemies and some of his men slipped through the line and found uh, some water that David had from the spring of the well that David had uh, drunk water from before they brought it to David and when David looked at that water that they had sacrificed so much for and run the very risk of their lives to bring to him, David said, that's too precious for me to drink. And he poured it out as an offering. These are attitudes that we need to develop. And thus, when they were thinking about the temple, they took precious things and used them in the... <coughs> the contribution that they made toward the building of the temple. But now I want us to think about the motivation. Let me read some verses from this chapter and let us think about them. I think it gives emphasis to some things that maybe we have not thought about. David, after giving encouragement to people to give, <coughs> begins in verse 10 and says, Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation." David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Now listen to this verse. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is as thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, thou 
art exalted as head above all. Now listen to this verse. Both riches and honor come of thee. Thou reignest over all, and in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now therefore our God we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee and of thine own have we given unto thee. For we are strangers before thee and sojourners as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and there is none abiding. O Lord our God, all this store that we have prepared to build thee a house for thine holy name cometh of thine own hand, and all is thine own. Now you think about those verses, and as David looked at all that they had and all that they had brought and poured out for the building of the temple, David said all of this came because of God's goodness and that God has made it possible for all of us to have what we have and to be able to do what we're able to do this day. As I think about the things that I may have in a material way, do I pause to ponder and to realize the principles that David said? That both riches and honor come of thee, and in thy hand is power and might, and in thy hand is to make great and to give strength to all. And out of that there rises within my heart the spirit of thankfulness and of gratitude that makes me say, that what I have is not mine. All that I have and all that I am is God's. And in reality, what I'm doing, I'm simply giving back God a portion of that which is His. Because everything that I have in reality and in the Spirit set forth by David, and if we understand what the Bible teaches, I think, for us today means that that belongs to God too. Not only what I contribute should be considered as that which comes from God and belongs to God, but all that I have. And when it comes time for me to think about giving, I ought not to think about what I have as a part of that being mine and over here is a part that belongs to God. But I ought to think about all of that as belonging to God and that what I'm giving to God is but a part of his own. And that's exactly what David said. Listen, let me read it again. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee and of thine own have we given thee. Did I realize this morning that the contribution that I placed in the basket was given of that which belongs to God? Or did I think that what I was giving this morning was that which belonged to me? 
I think this statement is certainly just as true today as it ever was, and that David stated the uh, fact and the truth when he said, All that we have given is of thine. It is thine. It is not mine. You entrusted me with it. It was something that you placed in my hands. And uh, in the, that attitude then, I gave it to you. But listen to verse 17. I know also, my God, <clears throat> that thou triest the heart and hast pleasure in uprightness. Note, thou triest the heart. Now listen to David. As for me and the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now I have seen with joy thy people which are present here to offer willingly unto thee. David said, I know that thou art one that tries the heart. And he said, this outpouring of abundance for the building of the tabernacle have come from willing hearts. Not grudging, not wanting to hold back, but willingly. And again, that's the very thing the New Testament teaches. 2 Corinthians 9. Paul said, let a man purpose in his heart and so give, not grudgingly or of necessity, not under pressure, not just because uh, there is the necessity to do it, but willingly. And he says, therefore God loveth a cheerful giver. So there is the test of our devotion. Our giving then becomes, among other things, the test of our devotion unto God. And that's what the passage says. Whether or not we do it willingly and gladly. There's so much sadness in our world. There's so much, so many people who are longing for some fulfillment in life. There are those who are turning here and there to try and, try and find purpose and meaning in life. And they just do not know where to turn. Let me read uh, some verses to you now and you think about these verses in connection with this. Listen to uh, verse 9. Then the people rejoiced for they that offered willingly because with a perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord and David the king also rejoiced with great joy. What a happy occasion when these people out of the affections of their heart for God willingly, lovingly gave these gifts for the building of the temple, there was a response within their heart of joy and gladness. Not only that, the last part of verse 17 says, As for me in the uprightness of my heart, I willingly offered all these things, and now I have seen with joy thy people which are present here to offer willingly unto thee. You see how much difference it makes 
whenever we think about giving in the attitude and with the principles that are set forth in this chapter. Think of the people in 2 Corinthians 8 living in poverty. But understanding that the real blessings of life and the fulfillment of life comes from giving. When the contribution was being made for the needy saints in Palestine, they came to Paul and they said, we want to have a part. Paul said he is hesitant to even say anything about it because of their poverty. But they asked Paul and pled with him, prayed him. So the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 8, that they might have a part in that. They had come to catch the very spirit of what it means to find fulfillment and meaning in life. And the way to find uh, the purpose and meaning of life and to get the most out of life is to give. The more I give, the more I get out of life. The more I give, the more life has meaning and purpose and the satisfaction that comes my way. The more I think about self and withhold from giving, the more I rob myself of fulfillment and blessings. And therefore, if I would understand where life is to find its satisfaction, it's by willingly, gladly giving. You know, we have said we want to go back to the Bible. We want to practice what the Bible teaches. And we talk about the plan of salvation and we realize the importance of our obeying the gospel and we wouldn't think about cutting out baptism or repentance or confession or faith. Because we say we want to follow the Bible, we're dedicated to the Bible, we believe the Bible. How many of us know and are acquainted and have memorized what Paul said to the elders of the church at Ephesus? When Paul made a statement that was made by the Lord that's not recorded by Matthew or Mark or Luke or John. We're dependent upon Paul for the knowledge that the Lord said this, and he said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. When we read 1 Chronicles 29, we have an exhibition of the very thing that the Lord said. Here are these people who've caught the Spirit in the understanding that life, the blessed life, comes from giving. And it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. It is, was in that spirit that God sent his Son into the world. It was in that spirit that Jesus lived among men. And it was in that same spirit that the early church brought their possessions and laid them down at the apostles' feet in the realization that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Have I so allowed the Bible to mold my heart? 
and the principle of truth and the love of God so touch my life until I have come to believe and understand that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. If those of us who are Christians believed uh, that that was really the characteristics of Christians and had developed that attitude in our life, is it possible for us to believe that the gospel wouldn't go around the world in our lifetime and in this generation? But that's what it says. And that's the very spirit of Christianity. And then again in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28, Paul said, Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor with his own hands that he may have whereof to give to him that's in need. Now you put Paul's statement from the Lord in Acts 20, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. With Paul's statement to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4 and 28, that to the one that's a child of God, he works not to have, but to be able to give. And that the motivation of my working is not that I may have something. That's secondary. But the primary mission of my working is that I may be able to have something to share and to give. That's what that passage says. When I think about my work, what do I think about? Do I think that I have a job that I may be able to work so that I can have? Or do I conceive of it because of my appreciation of the things that are spiritual and what the Bible teaches, that I have this job in order that I may have something to give? That's the spirit of giving that's taught in the Bible. I believe that's the spirit that must characterize those of us who are Christians. I think that's the spirit that must characterize us if we're going to heaven when we die. I think that as I live upon this earth before it comes time for me, whatever that may be, to reach the age when there will be said of me as it was of 1 Chronicles 29 concerning David, the end of my days. And I must develop the spirit that's set forth in 1 Chronicles 29 and that's based upon these passages that I've talked about in the New Testament. I have the gravest doubt that I can any more enjoy the blessings of that world beyond unless I open my heart to the truth of the gospel of Christ and the principles that are in it until it can mold and make me so that I find more joy in giving than I do in getting and that the spirit that's characterized of David in 1 Chronicles 29 and those to whom he spoke. I believe that that is just essential to our going to heaven when life is over as, as it is for us to be baptized. 
because the Bible teaches both of them. And it's my prayer to God Almighty that each of us will examine our hearts and come to realize that we need to think about these things in a different light. Above everything else, I do not need to forget about what giving's all about. There's a danger that I will. And so as <clears throat> before I close the lesson, there is a verse that David gave here in this chapter that I want to read in the closing of our lesson. Think of all the attitudes and the outpouring of love and the spontaneous, abundant giving that's being manifest on this occasion. What an outpouring of love and of giving. What an occasion in the eyes of God Almighty. It must have touched the heart of God to look down and see such an outpouring of love and of liberality for the greatest cause in all the world. And David realized that, that it was a great occasion in the history of Israel. But listen, David knows or knew how easy it is for us to forget things and how easy it is for us to lose the inspiration of the hour. And thus in verse, verse 18, David said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and of Israel our fathers keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of thy people and prepare their hearts unto thee before David could come to a close of the things that had happened on this occasion he sent up a plea to the throne of God and said, don't ever let the spirit that's characterized these people this day be lost in their thoughts and their imaginations. Don't ever let them forget about it as long as they live. Let the imaginations of their hearts still have the same spirit and the same attitude because of its wonder and because of the principles that were set forth in it. Do you not see the value of this chapter in the principles that are taught in it that all of us need today? Wouldn't it not, would it not be fine if we could just all imbibe the spirit that's set forth in relationship to the attitudes that are set forth here relative to the budget in the coming year? And as a result of the outpouring of heart and the abundance of affection, the elders could on bended knee before God, pray, O oh God, may the spirit of this hour and the dedication of this time never pass from the imagination and the thoughts of these people. That's real religion. That's real Christianity. That'll stand in time and bless your life. That'll stand in death. What a wonderful occasion. And what a wonderful assembly.
that David had to leave from to walk down into the valley of the shadow of death to pass into the world beyond. I pray God that out of the same spirit and the same attitude I'll be able to bid goodbye to the pilgrimage of this earth and walk into the eternal realms that lie beyond. If God can help me develop that spirit and that attitude, all will be well. As I close the lesson, I want to read just a few lines from a letter that I received recently. I believe it was in the September issue of the Word of Life that there was an article about the work in India and an appeal for Bibles. And a lady that's down in Florida receives the Word of Life. And as a result of reading that, she sent this note back to me. Thank you so much, for, uh, very much for the Word of Life that you sent me so that I can use them and that they do not have to be lost issues. And uh, one is just as good as another for my literature work. I can use more of them, and I'll be glad to pay the postage on them. I'm trying to do a lot of work for our Lord, but I don't have a lot of money. I have three cows that I milk by hand, and I sell fresh cow milk and butter, or raw milk and butter at my home to people that still prefer it. It takes about half that I make to feed the cows. I furnish two hospitals with literature and send some to a county prison where a brother in Christ works. I order the cheapest tracks by the thousand, order outdated star magazines for half price, get a, a bundle of 50 gospel minutes each week. I learned the truth from one of W.A. Bradfield's tracks and obeyed the gospel in 1947. And then she goes ahead and talks about the matter of uh, sending the tracks. But then at the end of the letter, she said, uh, I helped some missionary works along uh, and said it just broke my heart to think of people not having Bibles to read. And uh, the papers in India, are the, the people in India needing Bibles. Uh, enclosed is $25 for the work in India to buy Bibles. How far is that from what I read about in First Chronicles 29? Can you think about a woman in the days of inflation in which we are now living, milking three cows and selling milk and butter, trying to keep body and soul together, and out of that meager income buying tracks, and a heart overflows so when she thinks about souls around the world without a Bible. 
to send a check for $25. She's learned the spirit of Christianity that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. As I said this morning as we began our study, I'm conscious of how unpleasant this subject is in the minds of many of us. But it's my prayer to God that if that's been the way that we feel about it, that our study this morning and tonight will forever change our attitude about it. And that never again will this be an unpleasant subject for us to think about to talk about and to study. Are you in the audience tonight and not a Christian? Don't you want to be one? Is your life empty and you're looking for something to give it meaning and you think it can be found in sin? Don't let the devil deceive you. The things that I was talking about tonight is the only way that you'll find meaning and fulfillment in life. But in complete willingness and consecration and dedication to God. Taking up a life in the spirit of wanting to give rather than to get. You'll find joy that you'll never know otherwise. The thrill of soul. Can you just. Try to imagine the peace of mind and heart and the thrill of soul that that woman had when she wrote that check for $25 and sent it to struggling, benighted souls in India so that they could have a Bible. Tonight, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Will you repent of your sins, confess your faith in him, and be baptized? And then begin a life of giving. A life of growing to develop the spirit and the attitudes that I've talked about. And you talk about a life that'll be full. And how meaning that'll be at the invitation's yours. While together we stand and say.